0: Hello my lovely listeners, I'm Dr Mary Barson. And I'm Dr Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Hello Mayors darling, how are you? I feel like I haven't spoken to you all week. I don't think you have spoken
1: to me all week. I am, I'm good. I'm really good, thank you. I have made my own kefir, which is actually the first time I've done it, and some milk kefir, and it's actually turned out pretty well. So thank you for your expert tutelage on me and my kefir journey.
0: You're quite welcome. It's quite delicious. And one of the things I love, once you get your milk grains up and fermenting, I put mine in any cream. If I've got things of cream that might be getting close to their expiry date, I just ferment them and it turns into this like beautiful combination of sort of sour cream and yoghurt, really, really full of probiotics and delicious with some beautiful farm fresh blackberries.
1: Yes, I have helped myself to your delicious creamy kefir uh, last time I was at your house and I, I can attest to the fact that it's very delicious and I'm going to uh, attempt to make my own.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. All right, so last week we talked about two of the four R's. If you would like to sort of recap briefly for our listeners in case they need their memories jogged like maybe I do, and then we'll dive into the next two hours and complete our 4R Gut Health Framework. Fabulous.
1: So last week we started discussing our 4R Framework for healing your gut. Gut health being absolutely integral to all aspects of health and wellness, well as playing an important role in metabolic health and indeed weight loss as well. So last week we discussed step one and step two. Step one being remove all the toxic causes that can damage the gut. And step two is replace. So once you remove all the toxic, high carb, highly inflammatory foods, you need to replace them with delicious, low-carb, real foods that actively heal and feed your
0: gut. Wonderful. So this week we'll do step three and four. If you would like to elaborate, I would be delighted to hear. (laughs) I would
1: love to. So step three, this R is re-inoculate. So what we mean here is eating some beneficial probiotics, some bacteria, yeast, beneficial microbes that we eat that actually helps our gut be healthy and heal. Reinoculate is actually a slight misnomer. We use it because it fits in with our R's and we like a nice alliteration here in real life medicine. But when we eat probiotics, when we eat beneficial bacteria in the form of fermented food or fermented drinks or even in probiotic capsules that we buy at the chemist, we ingest these beneficial bacteria, but they almost never actually colonise our gut. That is that they don't actually take up permanent residence. In fact, well, they almost never do that. It's really fascinating. They do exert a beneficial effect on our gut and to the gut bacteria that exist within our gut But they don't hang around for more than a few days or sometimes weeks but they talk to and communicate with the bacteria and the microbes that are already in our gut in a beneficial way it's absolutely fascinating and fabulously complex and i just love the intricacy of this incredible organ essentially which is our gut microbiome and Eating some fermented foods and drinking fermented drinks just a little bit each day really helps it in ways that we are still learning about.
0: I think that's one of the great misunderstandings within the gut world is that people think if they take a course of probiotics, that that will be okay, a bit like a course of antibiotics. But in fact, we know that the roots of our microbiome, so if we use that analogy of the garden, the roots are established in the first three years of life. So that's why when Mary was talking about in our earlier episodes that, you know, things like antibiotics in childhood, early childhood, or whether your breast or bottle or vaginal or cellarion all affect your microbiome, it is the roots are established in the first three years and we can't change them. All we can do is change the balance So I often think about using the garden analogy that some of our so-called bad bacteria, they might not be bad in small quantities and if you've ever had a herb garden and had the great idea to plant some mint, you'll know what I mean. A little bit of mint is great but mint gets very big for its boots and takes over your entire herb garden and you've got nothing left but mint. That's the same with some of these colonies of the air quotes, bad bacteria, they're not entirely bad, they just get a bit big for their boots.
1: Absolutely. It's all about balance. So when we want to nurture our inner garden into health, what we are talking about is having it balanced. So it's not that we want to eradicate every little bit of mint or oregano from our inner garden, for example. It's that we want to have lots of different types of herbs, all sort of living in a nice little harmony, well balanced within our gut. You could also extend the metaphor, I suppose, to a forest. You want in the forest to have lots of different types of plants. You want to have your shrubs and your trees and your big plants, your acacias, your gum trees, as well as the moss and the ground covering plants. You want there to be lots and lots of different plants throughout this lovely forest for it to be healthy. It's the same with our gut. We want it to have a great diversity and to be in balance. And it's true, taking probiotics or eating probiotic food is not actually going to shift your gut microbiome in a very meaningful way. It's going to exert beneficial effects on the gut microbes that are there, but it's not going to shift it. And to date, actually, we only know of really two ways to shift a gut microbiome from an unhealthy sort of unbalanced to a healthy one or to dramatically change a gut microbiome. The first one is a fecal microbial transplant, a poo transplant, which is exactly what it sounds like, which is when you take poo from someone who presumably or slash hopefully has a healthy, well-balanced gut microbiome and you would plant it in the large bowel of a recipient. That actually does shift the microbiome. But please believe me when I say I'm not recommending that. I think that's got lots of inherent risks and well outside uh, sort of the scope of this podcast. But the other thing that shifts a gut microbiome in a healthy direction is food. Changing the food you eat shifts the gut microbiome in a healthy direction. It doesn't happen immediately but it does happen. So uh, we are all about shifting to healthy food to change your inner garden into a healthy and health-giving inner marvel.
0: Yes, and I think there's a a phylum of bacteria called firmicutes. So firmicutes is a bit like the mint. It's in there and in small amounts, it's quite good. It's really helpful in that it conserves energy or it utilises all the energy in the food. So the way I like to imagine it is it's sitting there in the large bowel, and any food that's going past that hasn't had all its energy extracted out, it can extract it. And so that's a really good thing if you're a person who lives in a country where there's not a lot of food. It's not a very good thing if you're a person who lives in somewhere like Australia or, or the United States where there's buckets of food everywhere. We are not in food scarcity. And so the thing about this bacteria is that the more sugar that you have, the bigger this colony grows. And this colony can talk to your brain and literally it says, I like sugar, like some sugar, thanks. And so your brain hears this little message and goes, oh, wouldn't mind it. So it's partly responsible not entirely, partly responsible for food cravings. So when people feel like they've been taken over by an alien who's telling them what to eat, there is some truth to that. The thing is, right, that with these biome transplants, they have actually done them in mice. And what they did was they had a lean mouse and an obese mouse and they fed them the same food. And then they took the biome from the obese mouse and put it into the lean mouse. No change in food, no change in exercise, and the lean mouse became obese. Unfortunately, it didn't work the other way. They took the obese biome and put it into the, sorry, the lean biome and put it into the obese mouse, and he didn't magically become thin. So there's clearly more to it than we understand, and this is the whole thing we're always talking about. The research is evolving rapidly, and we are keeping our fingers on the pulse but bearing in mind that keeping our minds open because when you get sort of stuck in dogma, you think you've learnt something and that's it, that's fixed, that's how we end up stuck with sometimes unhelpful advice. So keeping our minds open to what all of this means is really important.
1: Absolutely. And we'll go more into about the probiotics that we recommend in a moment but I'd like to make a comment about how we do need to keep an open mind because as these wonderful, clever humans called scientists are out there doing their job day to day and gaining more knowledge and more understanding and, um, you know, working hard to improve the lives of humanity, we do learn new things which can contradict old things. And that's just normal. That is how science works. If that wasn't happening, then, then we wouldn't have any new progress at all. But I think it was much... Last year, I think it was, a new study came out that flipped everything that I thought I knew about probiotics on its head, that it demonstrated that people taking probiotics at the same time as antibiotics, something that had previously been recommended as a good thing to do to try and protect the gut microbiome from the adverse effects of taking antibiotics, actually makes things worse. So taking probiotics plus antibiotics at the same time actually delayed the recovery of the gut microbiome. So the gut microbiome can recover after a course of antibiotics. It is not necessarily a hideous disaster. If you need the antibiotics to save your life or whatever, you can take them with the knowledge that if you look after your gut, it will almost certainly bounce back. But it bounces back faster if you don't take probiotic tablets at the same time. Just one example of how... Knowledge changes and we need to keep ourselves
0: open minded. And it's hard because that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You would be thinking, oh, well, you know, that makes sense, I'm going to do that. Bit like the old adage of, you know, well, fat makes you fat, so I'm not going to eat any fat. Sometimes what seems obvious is not always actually factual.
1: Being humble and open minded is essential. So, I'm going to go through, what are probiotics? We've been banging on about them a bit here. So we recommend that people eat some probiotics that is beneficial bacteria or yeast a little bit each day. And you can buy them, which is what I have been doing for the longest time, or you can make them, which is what Lucy's been doing for a long time. And I have recently jumped on board this far more economical bandwagon. So examples of healthy probiotic foods or fermented foods or drinks are like coconut yogurt or normal yogurt, coconut kefir, milk kefir, butter kefir or cheese, kombucha, naturally fermented pickles, sauerkraut, natural yogurt. These are all healthy foods that have got probiotic bacteria in them. And if you have just a small amount, like just like a tablespoon or two a day, you ingest these healthy bacteria and they exert their magical beneficial effect on the bacteria that already exist within your gut. And it's a really healthy, really easy and nutritious thing to do.
0: And I think you made the beautiful point there of only small amounts. When people have big amounts of these foods, particularly if they just introduce them straight away, again, you can imagine there's kind of like a bit of a riot going on in your gut then going, oh, my God, there's invaders. And you can get a lot of bloating and excess fermenting as well. So I know you can buy bottles of kombucha in, you know, 600 mils, but it's actually not meant to be drunk like that. It's really just, you know, 100 mils a day, for example. It's not really meant to be drunk as a alternative water for hydration. But again, there's quite a bit of marketing going around at the moment. And I guess if you had to choose between kombucha or Coke, well, obviously we're recommending the kombucha. But just so that you do know, it's really about small amounts and often. And the other one in there, just a little bit of myth-busting, Yakult. Yakult is a probiotic drink. It's been around for centuries. Well, not centuries, but, you know, decades. But it also has buckets of sugar in it to make it palatable. So I think the benefit of Yakult is unfortunately diminished by the big whack of sugar that comes with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Better off um, making your own milk kefir, which is something we teach in our courses and reboots. And uh, Lucy's showing me how to do it. It's actually really easy and uh, cheaper than buying milk kefir. (laughs)
0: Look, if I can do it, anyone can do it. It's so simple.
1: I should take a moment to mention probiotic tablets and capsules that you can buy at the supermarket and the chemist, these over-the-counter you know, medications, really. Look, they are not routinely needed. You get more benefit and more, more nutrients, I think, from eating small amounts of fermented foods and or drinking small amounts of fermented drinks. I do think they are better. However, there are some circumstances where I would recommend that probiotic tablets or capsules would may be of help and are most likely safe. And that is like when people are recovering from infectious diarrhea, you don't want to take in the same time as antibiotics. It's probably best to wait six weeks after taking a course of antibiotics to start probiotics because they can delay the healing of your gut. But, yeah, when people are recovering from an infectious diarrhea, sometimes the irritable bowel syndrome, they can be helpful. And also, interestingly, in overgrowth of yeast and bacteria. So that's conditions such as like vaginal thrush or bacterial vaginosis in women Interestingly, if you take some probiotics, probiotic yeast, probiotic bacteria, it can actually help those overgrowth issues. So there would be times when I reckon spending your money on some over-the-counter probiotics would probably be a reasonable thing to try. But Almost always we are all about real food, in case you haven't already noticed that about Dr. Lucia and myself. So fermented foods are best.
0: And I think the idea, again, you know, the supplement industry, the supplement, the food and the protein powder industry is a billion-dollar industry. It's largely unregulated. You cannot eat pies, drink Coke and have a probiotic and think that's going to help your gut it's just madness fixing that first r of your framework removing all those toxins is really integral it's really vital and so we would implore you as much as possible to do that and then only then if you if there's a need for supplementation as mary mentioned would it be worth purchasing the probiotic capsules. And there's some fascinating stuff that's coming out of it. There's a study on it at the Children's Hospital at the moment looking at the role of probiotics in children with severe dairy allergies. So these are children that are anaphylactic to dairy. And there's a trial looking at the role of probiotics, and these are capsules in there and hoping to mitigate that allergy. So clearly it's very complicated, the gut's role in some ways, and very simple in the other our industrialized modern life has buggered it up so to unbugger it go back to basics
1: and it is all pretty simple yet profoundly powerful stuff that we're advocating here that will really shift your health and no one's going to give us a lot of money for it no industry or pharmaceutical company will give us any cash or grants for suggesting that people don't need supplements, that medication isn't the best option and instead you should eat real food. But it's the truth.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's it. We just love banging the real food drum and we will do it as loud and as long as possible until we actually as humans go back to our basics. So, Mez, look, let's talk step four. It's time for step four. What's our last R in the framework? The last R? is rebalance
1: and rebalancing our lives. So this rebalance is about stress management, improving your sleep, socializing, seeing your friends, getting some exercise, getting out and getting some sunlight, and just getting some nice balance to your life. And the fundamental principle behind this rebalance R of the 4R framework is the gut-brain axis, which we alluded to before. The gut and the brain are in constant communication. We call it this. We love an axis in medicine. We talk about axes quite a lot. And so it's this axis of communication. And um, we have lots of the gut is also connected to our skin. It's connected to our hormonal systems. All of there's lots of different axes. But the gut brain axis is particularly important And we've known about this, like I think subconsciously we know about this. You know, have you ever had butterflies in your stomach or experienced a gut feeling that was hard to ignore? These phrases suggest that there is a a connection between our gut and our brains and that we have known it for a long, long time. It is incredible, but the gut and its microbes affect the health of our brain and can influence mood and concentration and even even behavior. And conversely, the health of our brain influences our gut, like the two are completely connected. Now about 90% of our brain output goes through the vagus nerve, like via the brainstem and innervates our gut. It's a huge part of what our brain does is send signals down to the gut but it's actually bi-directional. So there's a huge output from our brain to our gut, but also the gut then sends signals via the same nerves up into the brain. The gut and the gut microbiome send signals to the brain by other maze as well, but we probably don't need to get too technical. So basically there is this constant communication between our gut and its microbes that communicate to the brain through nerves, through chemicals and through the immune system. And what is healthy for our gut is healthy for our brain, and vice versa. And I'm sure as you know, basically everything that we do as human depends on our brain. You know, and if our brain isn't functioning well, then, you know, not much else is gonna function well. And by nurturing our gut back to health, we can also really help improve our mental health, our emotional health, as well as our concentration and our cognitive health. So, managing stress. Getting some good sleep, moving our bodies, getting outside and, you know, also having social connection and purpose is all part of the rebalance. Final R in
0: our 4R framework. And you know what's interesting is that when children are stressed or anxious, they often develop abdominal pain. And in medicine we call it an abdominal migraine but it's really just a reflection of their internal emotional stress presenting as a physical pain. And we find this happens a lot in physical conditions that are worsened with stress and stress-worsening physical conditions. So I think the, the idea, I like to imagine it a bit like a highway, And it's physical. There's a literal highway between the gut and the brain with that vagus nerve and lots of little roads leading into this highway surrounding many of our organs, but massively our gut. It's called the enteric plexus, a whole big, like a spider web of nerves that all then congregate and meet at the vagus nerve. So certainly... Like as our brain, we can actually talk back to our gut if we want to. We can send thoughts down to it. It's not something we've been taught to do. It's not something we practice. Nobody's there going, oh, okay, gut, let's just imagine you, uh, you know, relaxing. But you can certainly do it and it's very powerful.
1: And we do that in um, in our hypnosis practice, our medical hypnosis. I know that you, both you and I, Lucy, uh, use the gut-brain access to our
0: advantage. absolutely. Absolutely, hypnosis is a wonderful entry point into managing a whole host of lifestyle-related conditions. In our GP training, there was a little podcast, I think called Gut Health or Gut Feelings or something. It was a three-part podcast, probably similar to this. I was all excited about it. I thought, oh, my God, here it is coming to, you know, mainstream medicine until I saw it was sponsored by Kellogg's. So then I didn't listen. So again, my lovelies, Just check when you hear information, when you read information, just check for the source because there may well be some biases in it and really just be mindful of that. And that's all you need to be, aware and mindful that sometimes the source has underlying agendas. All right, darlings, I've got to go. So do you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Stay well and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. So, my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real
1: Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com.
0: And until next time, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.